Okay, technology is working out well again. Honest, we test run this every morning before we do this. That's okay. Luckily, I printed out the slides, so at least I can see them. You don't have to. Hi, I'm Joe Stenkamp. I'm the uh, elder in training here. It's my honor and privilege to bring you the word this morning. Um, just as a way of background, uh, I did a career as a soldier. I was in the Army for 22 years. Um, enjoyed almost every minute of it. Uh, so it's kind of fortuitous or kind of providence that I would get asked to preach today while uh, Mike and Carrie are out bringing Emma home from school. Uh, Lord, I thank you for bringing me to this place. Please speak through me. So, um, my first job when I retired from the Army was uh, at Sikorsky Helicopters. I was a helicopter pilot, so naturally it was a good place for me to go to work afterwards. Um, I was driving back and forth between Connecticut and New Jersey every weekend, uh, going back and forth to work, and um, at the time, my sister's next-door neighbor my now lovely bride, Sharon, was living in Troutdale, Oregon. And so we had this long distance thing going on for several years before we could finally get together for real. During that time, she would send me cassette tapes of her pastor, Pastor Ted, uh, and his sermons each week in Gresham. Um, in the Army, we have a saying that uh, we all use, that the, the, the favorite word in the army is huh? It can be used as a question, like uh, I'm teaching you something, did you get it? Huh? And the answer is always yes, I did get it, sir. And the way you say that is huh? So it, it can be a question or an answer. Um, so Pastor Ted's sermons, he was a powerful speaker. I, I never met him in person, but Every time he made a real point, he would say, amen. And he would expect the congregation to say, amen. And I heard this week after week after week, and I thought, this guy had to be in the military. He must have been in the military. So finally, I asked Sharon, was, was Ted in the Army? And she said, oh, no, no, he was not in the Army. He was a Marine. <laughs> he, he, he was a Marine fighter pilot. Oh, OK. That makes sense. Point being, to me, this was a man who spoke from authority. So there's a little bit of background before I really get into the word itself. Um, Capernaum was a, a fishing village on the Sea of Galilee, about 1,500 people at the time Jesus was there. Um, at the time, obviously, there was a centurion stationed there. For those of you who don't know, to me, that is an infantry company commander. Also to the Marines, by the way. Um, the infantry company commander has about 100 guys under him. So uh, he, he was a professional soldier. He was in command. He had been in command for a while. Um, and again, this thing takes place shortly after Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So as another little bit of trivia, Peter, Andrew, and Matthew were all from Capernaum, 
uh, after uh, Jesus called them from their fishing boats. Um, so the Romans had taken over Judea about 63 BC. Um, the very last battle was the siege of Jerusalem itself. There were about 12,000 Jewish casualties in that siege. So you can imagine that uh, the Romans weren't very welcomed. And here it was 93 years later, and they're still there. I tried to think about any modern parallels to occupations, uh, and Doc kind of alluded to one in his prayer this morning. The United States was in Afghanistan for 20 years. Some people liked us, some people didn't. The Christians and the women especially were sorry to see us go, but generally the population was pretty happy to see us gone. The longer uh, occupation was the, the USSR. They were in Eastern Europe for 46 years before the fall of the, the USSR. Finally came up last week, Mike hit on it accidentally with the best parallel I can think of is Californians in Oregon. <laughs> yeah, I got a big laugh last time too. Just imagine if the Californians took over Oregon. How would we like that? Now again, I didn't say that, Mike said it. My, my beautiful bride was born in California. We don't like to share it, so don't tell anybody, please. Um, but I like to think of them as refugees rather than an occupying army. I, I really like her family. Um, so the centurion, he seemed to have all the power. He had 100 guys, 100 armed guys behind him. Uh, he had reason to be proud of, of the authority that he had. But you have to remember that Jesus was already drawing crowds of thousands, even that early in his um, ministry. So the centurion, with 100 soldiers trying to keep the peace in a village of 1,500 people, really probably was paying attention to this guy Jesus, this new guy on the scene who's drawn these big crowds. He could be a security threat, so I need to know what's going on with him. Um, Matthew 4, 24 to 25 says, So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And remember, at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, uh, it was written in Matthew 7, 28, 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the centurion really was aware of who Jesus was. Probably he had listened in to some of Jesus' teachings in person even as uh, watching on the crowd. So there's a parallel story to this in uh, Luke 7. Pretty close, a few minor details, but uh, the, the biggest detail is that uh, um, in the Luke account, the centurion didn't come in person. He sent some Jewish leaders to go plead on behalf of the centurion to Jesus. Either way, uh, it was the, the centurion who was asking. 
So again, I'll repeat uh, the centurion's request. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So this sounded a lot to me like the same way the leper came that Mike talked about last week. The leper came to Jesus in boldness, in worship, and in faith. And so did this Roman soldier. The boldness part, probably pretty easy to understand. Uh, he was not an outcast leper. He had the 100 armed guys backing him up. He could go wherever he wanted and talk to anybody he wanted. So that's not a big surprise. Big surprise is the centurion comes to Jesus in worship. He calls him Lord in verse 6. He says he's unworthy of even having Jesus come to his home. That's worship. He also came to him in faith. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. He knew that Jesus had the power to heal. How did he know? So he also recognized Jesus' authority and power in verse 9. He says, both of us are under authority. So in every modern military headquarters, what you'll see is a line of pictures, photographs of the entire chain of command from the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States, through the secretary of defense, all the way down to the division commander, the brigade commander, the battalion commander, whatever level you're at. So the centurion probably didn't have photographs since cameras hadn't been invented yet. But I'm pretty sure he knew that his authority came from Caesar Tiberius himself. But who was Jesus' boss? He was an itinerant preacher walking around. He wasn't answering to any of the religious authorities. Who was his boss? Somehow, the centurion recognized that Jesus had a boss. So, obviously, we know what the answer is. Jesus answered to his father. He was obedient to his father in all things. Remember when he was baptized back in Matthew 3? And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Kind of guessing that the centurion wasn't there then. Yet somehow, he recognized Jesus was a man under authority, not just of authority. So the centurion also understood that both of them could expect their commands to be followed. With soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. It's just understood. But who is Jesus the Lord over? Who, who is he the boss of? 
Answer's probably pretty easy for us now, given the fullness of scripture that we have now. But remember back in uh, Matthew 4, when uh, Satan was tempting Jesus, what was Jesus answered? Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall receive, or you shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Probably a more pertinent passage in this uh, sense was when uh, Jesus healed the demoniac, a guy who was, had a demon that turned out to be many demons, and he cast him out into the pigs. Remember what Jesus asked, what are you called? And the demon said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now understand, at the time, the entire Roman army in all of Judea was about half a legion. It was about 6,000 men occupying at the time. So <laughs> Jesus actually commanded more demons than the entire Roman army in Judea. Now, I'm not sure that the uh, uh, centurion knew that, but I thought it was kind of funny that here we are talking about legion. Uh, yet, somehow, the centurion understood the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. So then Jesus answers, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I couldn't help but think, what did the disciples think when they heard that? That had to blow their mind. Um, but even more than that, he goes forward to say, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you just as you have believed. And the servant was healed at the very moment. So here's Jesus opening the doors to heaven to the whole world. Who has the authority to say who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't? Obviously, only God. And here is Jesus speaking as God to invite all these pagans into heaven alongside the greats of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, Jesus is already declaring that faith is the key to salvation, not your nationality, as the Jews of the time thought. Even the disciples who heard it then didn't quite get it. They wouldn't understand it later. Remember in the book of Acts, we're still having these discussions until this guy Paul comes on the scene and has to straighten out the rest of the disciples of, yes, we are supposed to be calling the Gentiles as well, guys. Remember? So 
the uh, disciples at the time didn't understand that. So this is a very important point about, as Mike has talked about over the last few months, what will we do with Jesus' words? We need to take him seriously. He has the authority. We need to obey. There are two places to go. We can be in heaven with Jesus, with the the heroes of the faith, or we can be in darkness with gnashing of teeth. What will we do with Jesus' words? Remember Matthew 7, 21 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. John 12, 48, he uh, makes it clear again. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So again, the question, what are we going to do with Jesus' words? And again, I go back to what the heck did the disciples think when they heard this? I'm thinking, if it would have been me, I'd have probably gone, are you kidding me? I left everything to follow you, Lord. And you're saying this Roman, this Gentile, this oppressor that you just met has more faith than I do? How can you say that? So we don't know what the disciples really had to say about it. That was my imagination. Probably what I'd have said if I'd have been there at the time. But we do know how the disciples reacted. They continued to follow and to obey Jesus. But just to prove the point that the disciples really didn't have as much faith as the Roman soldier did, just 10 verses later in Matthew, uh, Matthew 8, 23 to 27, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? So again, this Roman soldier understood that Jesus answered to a much higher power that his own disciples didn't quite get yet. This Roman soldier had the faith that Jesus had control 
over all things in heaven and earth. And his disciples did not understand that yet. So, what Jesus do? Speaking from an army perspective, I like to think that he enlisted them in his three-year discipleship training program. So the disciples' journey during that time was pretty tough. Number one, they did a lot of walking. I uh, read a couple of estimates that in the three years that they were with him, they walked about 3,000 miles with him. 1,000 miles a year on foot, going from place to place to learn under the feet of Jesus, to witness what he did, and then to be called to do what he did. They witnessed miracles. They performed miracles. They were served, and they served others. They were connecting to God. They were receiving corrections. I just talked about one rebuke, but if you go back and uh, look through the Bible, I found at least 10 others where Jesus has to rebuke his disciples again and again and again. I'm kind of a slow learner, but so were they. So I I take uh, some uh, strength from that. So in the army, if you do a career, you get lots of training. I went back and tried to figure it out in my 22 and a half years in the Army, not counting four years at West Point. I did five years in various schools, training classes. The Army is serious about teaching uh, their their officers. Um, I do only remember about two road marches of over 10 miles. Um, I knew those weren't fun. So that's why I decided to be a helicopter pilot instead. In the Army, we have a saying, why walk when you can ride? So, but the, the point of all the additional training is to continuous learning so that we can take on more and more responsibility. I think Jesus had the same plan in mind for his disciples. He knew he had to bring them up a little at a time to give them more responsibility. So as an elder in training, I am a disciple also of Dr. Noor. Dr. Noor loves to teach third-year medical students. He uh, had a way of dealing with them that I feel like he deals with me in much the same way. Um, In the Army, it's called the boot up the butt, but I I guess we don't say that in church. Um, But Doc's... Uh, thing that he talks about over and over and over in medical school, the way they train, train doctors is see one, watch somebody else do the procedure, then do one while the doctor's watching over your shoulder just to make sure you do it okay, and then when you really have it down, then you go out and teach one. You bring younger medical students under your wing. The Army does much the same thing. I can't help but notice that Jesus did much the same thing. He showed them, he had them do it, and then he had them go teach it. Difference is, in the Army, we had 
hundreds of training manuals, hundreds of technical manuals. You couldn't keep up with everything. Jesus, us now as disciples, there's one textbook, only one. 2 Timothy 3.16 to 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. In the Army, I really noticed that it's for training. It's not for just education. It's not just an academic event that goes on here. It's training. We're, we're to do the hands-on work as well as knowing our scripture. So the disciples slowly came along, slowly needed less and less rebuke as time went by. But I think there's a real turning point in their walk in John 6, 66 to 69. So Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum and talking about how he was the bread of life that came down from heaven. No one can come to the Father, to come to Jesus, unless it's granted by the Father. A lot of his followers didn't get it. They didn't understand. So after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know, again, gradually, have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I think that was a, a turning point in their uh, training. They were starting to get it. So what were the disciples training for? Luke 22, 28 to 30 says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus promises his followers a kingdom. This was uh, during the Last Supper that Jesus spoke those words. After his crucifixion and his resurrection, he came back to the disciples. And at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus came to the, and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, I'm here today to tell you he was not just speaking to those disciples then. He has that same command for us now. Again, what are we going to do with Jesus' words? So, I think two learning points for me. Number one, we must accept Jesus' authority and obey. We don't have a choice. We either choose the narrow gate and the harder path, or we choose the easier path that leads to destruction. The other point is we all come to the Lord in different ways, different times. The centurion, he got it right away. He understood who Jesus was. The disciples took years. The good news, brothers and sisters, it's never too late. If you still have breath, you can still come to Jesus. So we should be learning every day. Are we in the word? Ask yourself that question. Are you in the Bible each and every day? Took me a while to get there. I'm glad I'm there now. Maybe a more telling question is, are you closer to the Lord now than you were a year ago? That's the sign. If you're with him, you'll feel it. You'll know it. Uh, Other thing is, are we obedient? Each and every one of us has a different calling, but we are all called to do something for Jesus. I humbly admit to you all here today, again, that I have been a slow learner. I didn't really start walking with the Lord until I was about 44 years old. So many of you younger guys and gals are already ahead of me. God bless you. (laughs) You, you. You were blessed to be able to be raised in a good family like that. But even lately, the first couple of years, we'd been coming here for four and a half years now, something like that. The first couple of years, we were here. I sat on the pews, usually down right around here where uh, the Hugh Banks and the the Shafes are. And I sat there and I listened and heard week after week after week, Pastor Fay convicting me that I was supposed to be in the word every day. And every week I'd go home and say, yep, this is the week I'm going to start. Well, maybe next week. I also heard Pastor Fay convicting me that if you know Jesus, you need to share the good news. You don't have a choice. I was always shy about sharing scripture Remember when Sharon and I first got married in, uh, in, we were in New Jersey and we came home from church one day and the neighbor says, oh, you're one of those because he saw us carrying a Bible. 
I didn't have a good reply. I should have. I didn't. There was a lady who worked for me in New Jersey who said, Joe, there is something different about you. And I said, thank you, Sandy. I have learned since then that you need to have responses to those. You need to share the love of Jesus with your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and even harder sometimes, your family. If you love your family, you need to be sharing with them. So, to go with the soldier theme again, the centurion in Matthew wasn't the only quick learner. After Jesus' resurrection, or after his crucifixion, I mean, as he was hanging there dead on the cross, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There's another guy who got it quick. So, brothers and sisters, is Jesus calling you? Please be obedient. Decide, what are you going to do with his words? So, as we come to the communion table this morning, as we do every week again now, we have stations up in front and one station in the back where you can take the bread and the juice that remind us of what Jesus did for us so many years ago, giving up his body, shedding his blood for us. So, and he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. If you are believers in our Lord Jesus, feel free to come forward, take communion, come up as a group, come up on your own if you feel more comfortable that way. Take it back to your seats. Think about what Jesus has done for us and pray about what you should be doing for Jesus. Please pray with me now. Oh, Lord Jesus, we know we have heard the word. We don't have a choice. We must obey you. We must follow you. We know that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that you are Lord. It's in your word. It is true. It will happen. Lord, I pray that each and every person in the pews here today and those watching online will earnestly take heed of what you are telling us over and over again. Please bring each and every listener to you. Help us learn more about you. Help us to be more obedient to you. I ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen.